the All Souls Witchy Women Podcast, Episode 7, Times Convert. Welcome to All Souls Witchy Women, a fan and definitely not official podcast where we talk all things All Souls. We're three women who met over Outlander and then jumped into the All Souls world like the time-traveling wishes we wish we were. We're veering slightly off our typical course in this episode. Instead of talking about a particular theme in the All Souls trilogy, we're going to devote the entire conversation to Times Convert. This book is everything we thought it would be and more. And so with that, I'm Nikki. And with me, as always, are my witchy friends, Janet and Ashley. And we're hoping that you'll hang out with us for a bit as we discuss Times Convert. Times Convert! I'm so excited! Yeah! I mean, every time we come to this place and record a podcast, I'm excited. But I am particularly excited about this one because I love this book. Well, there's nothing like having a new book, too. It's just, uh, you know, in a series, so... It's awesome. That's what I was going to say. It's so neat to have fresh material and fresh stories from old friends. Aww. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. That's why we love you, Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) You're a wordsmith. Only with wine. So I want to take a second right now to tee up this episode because I have a feeling that once we start talking, it will be difficult to stop and possibly change direction. So I want to let people know where we think we're headed. Whether or not we get there, that's another thing. But where we think we're headed is we're going to talk a little bit about our favorite quotes from the book. And that was kind of hard to pick out just a few. And we're going to talk about the things that we love from the three interwoven storylines in the book. And then there were some things that, as the three of us read, made us go, hmm, hmm, and and, and I've put those at the end so that we've had time for the wine to take full effect and we, we can talk eloquently about them. Or we can think we're talking eloquently about them. I think we'll look back and really see this as excellent planning on my part. Uh, yes. I'm already celebrating it, just so we're clear. <laughs> so Ashley and I had the incredibly good fortune to attend Deb's recent book signing at the Georgia Center for the Book, which is at the DeKalb County Public Library just outside of Atlanta. Is it outside of Atlanta or is it in Atlanta, Ashley? I think that would be something that would get argued by all the people that want to fight to be inside the perimeter, so to speak. But technically, it is inside the perimeter in Decatur, Georgia, which is a beautiful subset, a smaller town just in the Atlanta metro area. There you go. And and that was a free history of geography (laughs) lesson. There you go. There you go. And I only hate you both a little bit. So So. this is the point where we should talk about how wonderful it was. So we did miss you, first of all. And of course, well, and it was it was nice for me because in Georgia, it's still summer. Yeah. And that was pretty cool. I think that's Nikki's way of saying, did you see the glisten on me? Isn't it lovely? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There there was there was a lot of glistening in those three days. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, I could see, Janet, just to make you feel better, I could see when Deb saw us, and of course, we're sporting our All Souls Witchy Women t-shirt, you could tell she was doing a mental countdown and going, you're missing mm-hmm. one. And we were like, we know. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I could see her doing math. Mm-hmm. I could see it. She was tired, but she was doing basic math. I could tell. My goodness. That woman is incredibly generous with her time. So one of the things that we thought we would do as a starter is just kind of talk about a few of the things that Deb mentioned in the brief talk that she gave before the book signing. And I will say she carved out, I don't know, maybe 20 or 25 minutes to talk. And then she gave the rest of the time to the audience, which is another reason why I say she's incredibly generous with her time. And the people in the audience were incredibly, (laughs) they were clearly devoted book readers and clearly very intelligent and some of their questions were amazing and Ashley and I sat and listened (laughs) to them Uh, yeah but one of the things that Deb said that I really loved is she talked about this book and how she wanted to focus on the daily lives of people because as a historian when she goes into archives and she looks at things she's reading really about monumental occasions 500 years ago, people took note of things because they were one-time things, births and deaths and 
massive fires and that kinds of things. And so when she goes into archives, she doesn't often see what happens in the daily lives of people. She said that this book was sort of a tribute to the mundanity of life. And I really loved that. And I guess I had finished the book before I went to that talk. But as I left the talk and reflected on it, I saw it come through in so many of the writings. And we'll talk about some of it a little later on. But I just really loved that. I think that's a great idea. And it also immediately makes me think about the book in a different perspective. And I have to say, as my opening caveat here, I've only read it once. <laughs> and only so, once? Today. It came out oh. a whole two weeks ago, Janet. <laughs> only once? So, well, yes, except for today's like super skim. But it makes me now want to reread it with that in mind because that's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. And also, I am a history nerd, so. Yeah, and I I wrote down a quote. She said, our lives are made up of more than big moments. It's about the small ones as well. And that just sort of neatly ties that up. Yeah, it does. Nice. So I know you're not going to be shocked when I tell you that I took copious notes around this idea that she gave to us as well, including that quote you just gave, because I'm reminded of a dear friend of ours asking us what a perfect day would be. (laughs) And Nikki so wisely summed up that it would be really hard to frame out a perfect day when life is really full of perfect moments. And it is really just the idea that not everything will be this sequential, large, monumental thing. That it is these brief moments that you will remember the most. And sadly, often it has nothing to do with sort of the mundane details. But if you think about it, like, you probably won't remember that you ate Chipotle on a Tuesday and you were late for work or something to that effect. But you would remember, you know, if you got in a car accident or something that would make that Tuesday significant. But I like the idea that it causes you to look differently at how you spend your time (laughs) and how you remember time, you know, because all of these little moments add up and they matter. One of the other things that she added to that thought was just to say that we are all the stuff of history. Mm. That it's not just reserved for these larger than life beings that you would find in history books or that you would find sort of shaping the world today, good or bad, that we are all the stuff that history is made of, not just those that you would Google and try and figure out or a Kardashian (laughs) or a politician or whoever it might be. So I love that too, because it gives meaning to everybody's individual situation in lives. Absolutely. And I loved that. Yeah, I think what I hear you saying to me is I should take my 30 journals and donate them to uh, an archive. Right. <laughs> well, you should write a book about them first and then donate them. It's funny. When you told us that story, I was thinking about this talk because that's what she was saying. She went looking for something to that degree and can't find mm-hmm. it unless you were George Washington or something. You know what I mean? There was no sort of here's how it was for daily life for this one individual living during this time, which is, I guess, maybe harder to fathom now, given the swath of social media. Right. And look, I'm eating a grapefruit. <laughs> so now it feels like everyone's <laughs> focusing on the mundane and glorifying it. But when you look at it through the way that she's saying it, it completely hits home. Well, and of course, in some of the previous books, like Shadow of Night, which I did just re-listen to. And so, you know, Diana with her whole commonplace book, that whole idea of women of a certain sort of gentrification, you know, writing down the mundane details of their lives, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's everywhere. Um, I will give you one additional thought and then just something to kick us into talking about the book itself. One other thing that she said that I just loved picturing is that she said she has so many voices in her head all the time and that all the voices were talking to her at once. It was Marcus, it was Matthew, it was Gallo Glass, it was a few of them. And then sometimes some get quieter and some get louder. And so while she was on the path of writing a standalone book about Matthew, the voice for Marcus got much louder in her head and she just abandoned it and went to Marcus. And so I loved the idea that, oh, wow, you know, we're not necessarily crazy if we have voice running through our head. Like it is the way of organizing our creativity or listening to that and, you know, giving breath to the one that you want to in that moment, but not necessarily like muting the other ones so much as just tabling them for a bit and going back to them later. Mm -hmm. So I just love the idea that her creativity and what we get to see from her comes from voices in her head. I have to say, too, when she was talking about that, it made me think of the strands that Diana sees, you know, on people. She sees the strands of time and she sees them in corners of the room and she sees them hanging off of people. She sees them hanging off Marcus in this in this book. And for me, that was the visual. She just sees all of these threads and she has to sort of sort through them and 
figure out which one is speaking loudest to her at any given moment. Absolutely. So true. So then the the one other like fun little nugget that we heard that would just, I think is a good way to segue us in is that she shared with us that she wrote huge chunks of this Uh, book while sitting in the Bishop's keeping room while they were filming a discovery of witches. So she would just be sitting there and she said they'd be in between takes and Valerie um, Pettiford would be sitting there knitting, which I know you would love that Janet and everybody was doing their thing and the production crew would be sort of milling about taking notes or setting up for something else. And she would just be sitting at the table in the keeping room writing this book. Wow. That's so awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That made me like finish off some of it or, you know, finish the rest of the book that I had with like imagining what a dreamy scenario to be writing this, to see your (laughs) words coming to life and sitting in the setting of them while you're making the next version of them. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty pretty cool. That is so beautiful. And, and Ashley and I did want to say, this is our, this is our public accountability moment that, (laughs) <laughs> we would love to put all of our thoughts together about this book signing into a blog post. <laughs> and well, we might do that one day. You're, yeah. The third, the third part of this group says that would be great. <laughs> yeah. What do you think listeners? Would you like that? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Maybe you could even do it while she's still doing her book tour. That would be awesome. So, so it's timely. <laughs> hmm. That is a thought. Huh. Right. Your subtlety <laughs> is noted, Janet. <laughs> right, says the editor. Anyway. I didn't enter this one into a uh, dis- discussion earlier, but I, I, I want to start with this one because it reminds me of, of one of our witches. I just, I just had this moment when I read these words. Sarah entered the library in a cloud of bergamot and lavender. <laughs> and huh. which one could it be? Essential oil. <laughs> and I just, oh. I just smiled because I thought that's that's our Ashley. Yes. Oh my God, that just gave me goosebumps because as soon as I read that, I got all like dreamy and chill bumps because I was like, oh, I can picture her. And then I went in my house, I'm not even lying, and opened the two little bottles and smelled the two of them together because it's two that I've never blended together. I normally, in case we're curious, I normally do a good like bergamot and citrus is really great. Bergamot and balance is really lovely. Lavender and citrus, I've never tried to mix them. So I immediately did it and it is wonderful. In case anyone's curious. I'm so not surprised. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad that everyone was experiencing calm via essential oils in those pages. Continue. Yes. No, that's all I've got. No, I'm just kidding. No, I I really did just, I loved that moment because it's another one of those moments where it's, it's, it's mundane. It's a detail that you wouldn't expect that people a hundred years from now would notice, but it's important in the moment because she comes in the room, you smell the smell and you associate it with her and, and whatever feelings you have about her, which I am assuming are lovely, warm feelings. And, And I just love how it played into that theme. I will do the other one that I have and then I will, I will yield the rest of my time. Um, I've been watching a lot of CNN. Um, (laughs) So one of the quotes that I really, really loved is when Matthew and Diana were talking about um, the blood test for the twins. Baldwin had demanded that they had blood tests to see all all the things, to to see all the things that they might be. Matthew refused to have them done and he said, it seemed to me the best present I could give Rebecca and Philip was uncertainty. And I loved, loved this because I, I work at a large university and I deal a lot with helicopter parents who, you know, even with 20 and 21 year old kids, they still want to control a lot of their lives and, and they want to be involved in <laughs> what classes they take in the winter semester and, and how soon they graduate. And, and I think that a lot of parents today have have cheated their children in not giving them the gift of uncertainty. And rather than giving them the tools to deal with the uncertainty, they try to take care of everything for their kids. And I just, I thought that this was a beautiful reminder to parents, <laughs> to myself, that no, sometimes you, you, 
you put tools in the toolbox for your kids and then you let them figure out the rest because it's their journey and they have to find their way. Whoever they are, whatever they want to be, they need to they need to walk that path on their own. And yes, I loved it. No. Yeah, no, that it is a great quote, and it's it's an it's a it's a very difficult thing to do as a parent, you know, to watch your kid um, struggle, you know, try to use the hammer when they should use the screwdriver, and so mm-hmm. on, you know, but but it's the only way for them to figure it out. So yeah, and it's also a way for a parent to let go a little bit, you know, of your own anxiety. Mm-hmm. If you, if if you buy into this idea. It's a way of feeling it's a position of power for you as a parent rather than one where you just get more and more anxious. Also very hard Mm. to do. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sold. And I have to tell you, I appreciate you framing it up this way because when I read it, I read it in a different way. Oh. And now I'm having this like, hmm, moment. Well, you know, totally get what you're saying. But the first way my brain registered it was like we're living in this you know, digital information era where we can know more Mm -hmm. things than we ever thought we needed to or really need to. And some of that includes like what, what is our destiny look like as it relates to being predisposed to health conditions Mm -hmm. or afflictions or things that we would not be aware were on our trajectory, except that now there's advanced science that can tell you hey, you know, for $99, you can get a blood test and you can find out all these different things, which is on the one hand, wonderful to know. And on the other hand, it leaves you with more information than you ever would have had available. And then how does that change what you do in, in for good or for bad, knowing the information that you have? So when I read this, I thought she's trying to spare him from thinking, oh my God, you could have blood rage and that you could, mm-hmm. you know have whatever and like figure out and so part of this kicks into what you were thinking it was you should live your life and figure that out as as time allows you to and it becomes ready for you to um on your own path and not because i have forced an answer that is going to be made apparent to you whenever like i decide to deliver Mm -hmm. it to you so i liked sort of the idea that these kids might have something that they've been just pre you know predestined to have but let them live their lives and figure out what that might be on their own terms mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a great quote so i'm going to give one that um i just picked out today and i picked it out because i thought it was um <clears throat> well i just thought it was a little snarky so it's sarah bishop when she's first meeting Marcus and um, Jimmy Hutchinson and he's he's hurt and there's a whole thing of you know he's pretty seriously hurt and so she says uh, because she birthed him um, um, it took me 18 hours to bring that boy into the world and no time at all for some idiot with a gun to steal him away war is such a waste of women's time and I, I just thought that really basically sums up so much of that (laughs) war and just conflict and I just think women regard it very differently and it just seems super relevant in today's climate and that's maybe all I'll say about that so there is another quote later in the book and I'm not sure if I can find it right now but and I don't even remember who said it but one of the characters said without war what would creatures like us do every spring yeah Oh, yeah. We'd have some idle time on our hands. And, and I think that really pairs well with this because women, we, we've got enough damn stuff to do yeah. without this. And and the men are kind of like, well, we're, we're a little bit bored. We've planted the yeah. crops. We've got a couple of months on our hands. <laughs> really? They've got to grow. Right. So what can we do? I got some free time. That's a gender comment, but I'm sticking with it. I will allow it. i second that motion right thank you moderators you're welcome um and i i went with what i would call a feed up softball moment here and it would be the um life no matter how long is still but a breath goosebumps and i will tell you that without before we ever read it in the book we have i i know we all have enjoyed it as the print on the tote bags that we were Mm. given when we went to all souls con and Every time I get it out, it sort of forces that that deep reflective mm-hmm. breath moment where you think about that. 
And I find myself carrying around more often to um, remind myself, as some friends of mine here have reminded me, you don't have to stop. You just (laughs) have to slow down. And so when you read that, it really sort of forces that moment. And um, I can't even remember right now the context in which it popped up in the book. Um, So much as when I saw it, I just had this, oh, there it is. You've been guiding my life for a month since I got this tote bag. And now I can finally read it in quote form, (laughs) um, which was very exciting. But... I just think it's such a such a powerful statement. I think it came from, um, I actually think it came from Isbo telling us that it was God's way to remind us that life, um, I can't even remember what she was referencing, but just that that quote came out. I was, and I was very excited that it was actually her that said it as the wise soul that she is. Well, it also, that idea of bringing it down to a breath also brings it down mm-hmm. to that sort of moment of small, smallness. Right. And, you know, and it's, it's, and being present in it. I, I just started do, taking chai, tai chi. What? And I, yeah, I did. You know, I, I'm really bad at it, but, um, but of course that's not what you're supposed to think. Um, but the breathing is, is its own, like its own, it's a, a meditation. Mm-hmm. You really do get to, to this thing of just feeling your breath in a way that's different than yoga. Anyway. It's a side trip, but there it is. A wise friend down the street who does lots of yoga and meditation has said that to me, that it's basically your body's way of not, I don't want to say a hard reset, as hard as control-alt-delete, but something comparable because your body has to focus complete and full attention on breathing in that moment. And so that's the only place you can focus is if you take that deep breath and focus in on it everything stops and just focuses on that one thing to get it done. And then you go, oh my God, I just did that. Because we just sort of mindlessly breathe all day long and not recognize that it's something that's being done. But if you actually stop and focus in on it and focus on that one single breath and what it means. And um, so, yeah, I'm, that's exciting you're doing that. Can yeah. you produce the uh, the like the uh, idiot's proof guide for Nikki and I so we can, mm-hmm. you know... <laughs> Yeah. Is there no, no, I app? can't at this <laughs> point. <Right>. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to do the Dick Van Dyke version that gets advertised on TV on Saturday mornings for old people. I have not seen that, but I am now super fascinated to. Yeah. Yeah. Bert from Mary Poppins doing a little Tai Chi for old people. Oh, oh my God. All right. We, we should move on. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> If you haven't read Tom's Convert yet, I don't know why you're listening to this, first of all. If you have, you will know that there are three distinct storylines in the book. There's the Phoebe being transformed into a vampire. There's Marcus's life in the Revolutionary War, and from, from the time that just before he was turned into a vampire, and then the years following that, and then the twins, Matthew, Diana, and Marcus in modern times. We've mapped out a few things that we liked from each of these storylines. And I will say that I loved was the attention on everything about the ordinary lives of these creatures living together. And (laughs) it made me laugh because when I went back, there's a scene where Rebecca and she had to be reminded that not all the food at the table was for her, which I loved because it reminded me very much of my own child, who I've also had to do those things for, (laughs) which... Is she is she a vampire? Yeah, she's she's taken all the tests, and yes, yeah, she is a vampire. Oh boy! Okay. Well, I am like struggling not to just snort laughter over here because we got a little note home from the <laughs> teacher today about Travis's behavior. One of the bullet points, yes, there were <laughs> multiple, was about how he ate another kid's <laughs> snack and then proceeded to eat his own. <laughs> and I asked him why that was he said i did it by accident i said oh okay well that's an honest mistake but then what'd you do with the snack that had your name on it once you saw it he goes well i ate that one too (laughs) the damage had been done at that point (laughs) i was like trying to explain to him you take that one back with your name on it and you say oops i ate the wrong one can you give this to another kid and he was like but it had my name on it (laughs) he's gonna be that guy at the office refrigerator (sighs) oh god oh my god that's funny (laughs) He might also be that roommate that leaves like three sips of orange juice left in the carton. Hey, I'm thoughtful. I left some. Okay, so yes, there's the focus on the everyday, which I happen to love. But let's start with Marcus. Let's, let's do that. 
Marcus. So I will just say I loved Marcus meeting Sarah Bishop at Bunker's Hill. Oh, yeah. I just, I so, so very much love that. I also loved that we got a lot of gallo glass in this book. And I wasn't expecting that. Because when I heard about this book, I thought, eh, Marcus, eh, I don't know. But as I started to read the book, I thought, oh, this is, not only is this wonderful Marcus's life and this story, but there's a lot of gallo glass. And it didn't make me love him less. Now, I have a serious gallo glass crush. Like, serious. I do too, and it's only been magnified by the fact that long ago Nikki had decided that the role of Gallagher should eventually be cast. Grant mm-hmm. Rourke, who plays Rupert on, yeah, yeah I always confuse I him. Rupert on Outlander, and now that's all I can see when mm-hmm. I read it because I'm convinced that that is perfect, and I can just picture him like this big brawny Scottish dude with the lovable laughter and the like tough love but fiercely loyal always at someone's side yeah and i follow him on twitter and every time i see a tweet come from him i just want to reply and say you know you need to be gallo glass not that he has any control over that or that he should listen to me about anything but i really need that to happen yeah i agree he would be great ashley are you gonna do the nerd thing about history well, I feel compelled to now, yes. Yeah, I, I don't think you cannot do it at this point. I was just wallowing in gallo glass for a second. Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about this book, honestly, before we went into it. I just knew it was going to be Marcus's backstory, and then we heard it sprinkled about it all Souls Con. Admittedly, I did not have like an advanced kind of understanding of what it was. So when I found out that it was going to be Marcus's story back in the 1700s during you know the shaping of this nation and then i got into it oh that's what made me love this section so much because it's not like i don't read my fair share of historical fiction but the fact that it was set during the american revolution which is one of my favorite periods of history to read about or just to either nonfiction or fiction cinema whatever it might be I just feel like it brings it to life even more. And because we had just been to Philadelphia for the All Souls Con, and we had the great pleasure of jumping out and going to the Museum of the American Revolution, and so all of that was fresh in the brain, I just felt like I was retracing his steps with him. I don't know. It just felt more palatable. And because I'm like, can relish and get excited about anything set in this time. But here it is, some of our favorite characters retracing that they got their start and, you know, these pivotal moments that happened to them that sort of reshaped where they were headed in life happened during this very important time. And it just made it that much better for me, which is why I loved every time it skipped to Marcus's book setting. I mean, I mm-hmm. loved all the threads and I started to realize there's like no particular pattern. You're not seeing like two chapters of Marcus and then you're moving back and then this and then it's for sure going to skip and go to this one. I love that it was very nonlinear like that. But every time we got right back to Marcus, it made me very, very giddy. Yes, it's sort of between Hamilton and this book, you know, you basically learn, like, the American Revolution in easy bites. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of tapas in small bites, so this one really hit home. There you go. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was just thinking about olives. Okay. (laughs) I often do that as well. Could you throw in a chunk of feta? That would Mm. make me really happy. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Do we want to go on to Phoebe? I was struck in my skimming today of about Marcus's becoming a vampire, his story with Matthew, and how it contrasts to Phoebe and her becoming a vampire with Miriam and Freya. You know, because it's very detailed and very specific and very calculated by Miriam and Freya and sort of giving this... Phoebe as an infant, et cetera, et cetera. And they're trying to explain to her, sort of trying to help her understand all these different changes, which we'll talk about. Um, but with Marcus and Matthew, it's basically like, yeah, okay, I took your break. You're, you're aware. <laughs> we, we all have to say that. Thank, like, thank you for helping with me with the pronunciation for that because it's always tripped me up. Now I know. Right. Anyway, it has to be super guttural. Uh, anyhow. And he hardly does anything. It's not until he gets on the uh, ship to go back to Europe, to France, where Matthew basically dumps him with gallo glass. And Marcus is on the ship and he goes, well, I have a couple of questions. (laughs) 
and he's like, "What's what's a wear?" <laughs> glass is like, "Oh, we have a lot <laughs> to talk about." You know, I mean, Matthew basically, you know, is like, "Here's a deer," you know, drink it, <laughs> and it's it's like it's there's none of this crap or anything, and it was I was struck by the contrast between the two, so <laughs> which may be a good segue into Phoebe, but I wanted to bring that well- up. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, too, and then they all act like complete just shock and horror that he goes about creating his own, you know, siring his own vampires in some sort of maniacal, just like haphazard way. And it's like, I mean, I know I had this sort of family onboarding situation where everyone brought me under their wing, but I mean, he pretty much just like did it, handed me a deer and then walked (laughs) off. So what the hell? Right. I know. It, it, yeah. How although, dare thee? I'm like, really? How about Papa Bear? Yeah, although Marcus has, you know, father issues. So he's, you know, he definitely had a thing where he was just like, oh, wait, you said black. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going with white. <laughs> and took it from there. So. I, I guess shooting your father in the head would give you some daddy yeah. issues, I guess. Just perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so while while we're stuck in the middle of the segue, I just want to say something about Freya because I freaking love her. And yeah, one awesome. of the questions that I didn't get a chance to ask Deb is, I would love to know if there was someone that she was modeled after because there is a scene where she's like got I don't know pants and holsters and I, I don't know. It seems oh, she's dressed. She's basically dressed like a cop. Yeah, you know, and she is a cop and, and in Paris and. I, and, right, she's the National Guard or something. Yeah, I, I just if if you're looking for a, a badass, strong female, feminine character, look no further than Freya. Yeah, although when I when when I read that part again today, I was I said, oh, she sounds a little bit like a dominatrix, but well, that could be true too. So, sure. I was picturing Mariska Hargitay from Law and Order SVU. Once I realized she was a cop, I was like, "Yeah, she's a badass." Yeah, yeah. Which I think naturally then leads us to Phoebe and her transformation into a vampire. And if you didn't notice, all of the the chapters dealing with Phoebe, the chapter number is the days that she's been a vampire. Right, her first true uh, story. Mind blown, uh, right, Janet? Are you having a mind blown? Yeah. It is. I did not notice that. I thought, why are these stupid numbers here? <laughs> so, thank you. Yeah, it starts with not, which, why don't we use not more? That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a conversation for a different day, but it starts with not. And then each chapter corresponds with that day in her life as a vampire, which is incredibly cool. Sorry, I got to the page that said not, but I just was, I had to thumb past the, the page where Diana signed the book with Evermore. Mm. Diana, I'm sorry, Deborah. To, I think they're one and the same, mind. really. Well, I know. Well, when we start talking about her characters, I'm like, oh, but yes. Um, yeah, we learned that little tidbit at the, at the book signing. Okay, so now I'm going back to hating you both <sighs> a little bit because your book is signed and says Evermore. Kind of does. So. Evermore. Okay. Kind of does. We we should move on. I will reserve my time for our intern's viewpoint. My 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 teenage daughter helps us a little bit on on all the things that we do, and she's read the book, and she said that one of her favorite things about Phoebe was her relationship with her cat. I love that. Which concerned me a little bit because we have a cat and my child is a vampire according to all the tests so I have had a few concerns about that but that was one of her favorite things and I was sort of fixated on this as well because there's Phoebe they throw a cat in the room and they say whatever you do don't name it and the first thing she does is she names the cat and then you know she has a little sip from it every now and then just to top off and while strange also oddly comforting Mm-hmm. I thought the whole watching her become a vampire thing was completely fascinating. Like, I just, I loved all of that. Just all the heightened senses, the fact that she had to learn how to, like, walk and stand up, you know, right, because, so she didn't, like, put her fingernails through the mm-hmm. desk or whatever because of friction. 
in the trilogy before this, you understand that vampires have heightened senses in terms of they can really smell and they, they're fast and, you know, sort of things like that and they're powerful. But this sort of parsing it out and breaking it down into sort of each little sort of part of a movement, I just was, I was fascinated by that whole concept. Mm-hmm. And I think I talked to you about this, Janet. At the end of every chapter about Phoebe, I wanted more, but I also didn't feel like I could actually take more because it was so intense and you know there were scenes where she was she was feeling itchy and everything you know everything felt scratchy against her skin and that you know there was too much light and too much noise and as a reader it felt very intense and and so it was fascinating to go through that experience with her yeah i agree it was like you're watching her kind of survive her own personal hell mm-hmm. you know inside her body and her mind and her hormones and her emotions and the whole thing. But you know, and she knows, like, okay, this is headed towards somewhere good. I promise it's going to be okay on the other end if you can just hang in there, which is a lot more than can be said for most times. Anybody experiences such physical anguish, you really don't know that the outcome is going to be this sort of euphoric state that you've intended. Mm -hmm. So to go through sort of the layers of hell of feeling everything and then wait, maybe it's not hell. Like I enjoy experiencing this, but I don't even know what it is. I don't know what I'm supposed to make of it. So I'm I'm with you both. I enjoyed this immensely because in the trilogy, we did not have this, right? This is a very new experience. And so it's one of those where it's like when I said new stories from old friends, this one's even like... I don't, I, it's, it's sort of like that. We didn't get to know her incredibly well in previous books, but it's the idea of like, now I can imagine not only what it was like for Marcus and Phoebe, but then I can sort of go, my goodness, like imagine Matthew in this state, you know, so it was very Mm -hmm. cool. I also loved Miriam, the reluctant mother. And, you know, she's like, oh, I had no idea it was going to be so hard to have a child. I'm like, uh, yeah, hello. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, she's part of the, what I was calling her girl squad that was keeping her from losing her shit during the 90 days of vampiredom. <laughs> and I was like, I think I was so amused every time. She seemed to be surrounded, you know, by all these strong women who had been through it before and were like, it's going to be fine. And every time she was like, this is it. I'm, I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. Like, I don't even know what this is. They're like, keep it together. Mm-hmm. Keep it together. Because, you know, we all have that applicable example in our real world. You too. So... <laughs> Like, just was having that where I was like, oh, God, they have their own personal all souls, witchy women and daily (laughs) friends like this that are like, it's going to be fine. It looks really ugly right now, but it's going to be fine. And um, I just like that every time she was about to either do something dumb or feel like she was losing it, they were diving in. And it reminded me a lot, honestly, of when Diana was first with Matthew and she went to Septors and he left in the witch water and they just arms wrapped around her, Isbo and um, Mart and... And took her in and we're like, it's going to be okay. We have to, nur- you know, nurture her and keep her from losing it all together and make sure that she's feeling our support. And it all looks different from each of them. But it did remind me of that, about how sort of that, that girl squad jumped in for her then too, as they did for, you know, a different group of them for Phoebe here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love that too. Going back to my weird fascination part, um, the whole like tasting different kinds of blood to find the, the kind that she liked and oops, middle, middle-aged white women <laughs> was her blood of choice, which I just found personally. I have a theory. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. What's They're full theory? of wine. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. God, that's great. It's like, it's probably they true. were... They were wine and stretchy pants. I'm in. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. And then my my final Phoebe thing was that, you know, the only thing she could really tolerate before she really got her palate going was coffee, dark chocolate, and red wine. So there you go. Nectars of life. Exactly. Some days that's pretty much my diet, I think. Yeah. Exactly. All right. On to the twins, Matthew, Diana, present day. Yep. Uh, So one of the things that I really loved about this particular thread was that in the All Souls trilogy, Diana had always been reluctant about her magic. And at the end of the Book of Life, she had, well, (laughs) the Book of Life got sucked into her. She became the Book of Life. But 
we weren't really sure how she was going to embrace this new life. And I really loved seeing that she had, she had kind of come to terms with her magic to some degree. And I really loved seeing that. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it felt like, you know, she had a life again, right? Because I guess they were on a summer break during this book, right? She Because she talked about having to grade papers and things, which I'm not sure why you would grade papers on summer break, but whatever. But life had resumed and she had learned how to lead a life with her magic rather than trying to live a life hiding her magic. Yeah, although she was still somewhat, uh-huh. you know, at different different points in, in particular sort of in how to also raise her children, which, you know, comes to a, a point and then she and Matthew come to a conclusion about that. I love seeing her as a mother recognize that, oh, maybe my parents actually like maybe this was harder than I mm-hmm. thought and maybe they actually, you know, weren't so bad at it. You know, maybe they did spellbind me for a reason. And this hasn't happened to you guys yet, but I have a daughter who has a child and I think Maxine was maybe two when Rachel said to me, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um I get mm-hmm. it. Like Apparently, you know, this is more challenging than I realized. It, you don't always know everything right and all that. And it was it was a moment of like, okay, that was worth it. Yeah. But I liked seeing her have some recognition for her parents and recognizing that, you know, they did the best they could with what they thought was the right plan at a moment. Just like she's struggling with it, trying to figure out, you know, do I let them see me do magic? Do I not let them see me do magic? Do I let them do magic? How do I, you know, do I tie them up, etc.? Right. Yeah, I think that that segues very nicely into the moment I had about this. I had a few, but the one that I wanted to highlight, which was this sort of recognition, acknowledgement, and respect for those choices and for going, I see, I get it. I'm not angry. I can see why you made that choice. But then saying, you know what? I think we're good to chart our own course, you know, general generational precedents be damned. I'm not saying that what you did was right or wrong. I'm saying I get to make our we get to make our own choices for us and our children and it has nothing to do with what our parents have done even if it's right or wrong it might be the same choices we make or you know what the congregation says or what you know thousands of years of vampire history say is the right thing to do it's one of those where she's sort of coming in as this fresh infusion of perspective that is like "Mm, nope let's not assume that that's a given We're going to actually have some conscious, collective thought about this and make a choice that is best for us and our children and what we would like that to look like and not just because others have done it differently Mm -hmm. before us. And who had this thing, Sarah and Agatha, are together? Squee! (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) There's our squeer. (laughs) That's me. They're together, right? Do you think I... Well, I did not pick that up, but, you know. Oh, really? See, I picked that up from book three. Really? Yeah, I I was picking up on that vibe from Book of Life. I I just thought they were friends. (laughs) I was picking up on a deep... Yeah, that's what people say about my great aunt, too, but we all know. It's... (laughs) I mean, she's she's like 80 now. We, We get it. Yeah. Do you all want me to sing Kenny Rogers? Because I can daytime friends and nighttime lovers. (laughs) I mean, you know, hoping no one else discovers what they do, where they go. The secrets they hide away. Okay, I'll stop. I I think it would be awesome. But I now I have to go and like I but I, I completely I completely miss that. So what do you think, listeners? Yes, together, an item? as it were oh i i hope so they're they're just furiously typing no more ashley singing and that's fine that's fine i I just realized that we all need more kenny rogers in our lives you just reminded me of that do do we maybe (laughs) maybe no no i don't know maybe we need more wine in our lives Speaking of wine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell us about it, Nikki? Do I? I think I do. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do. Go for it. This one's going to be a fun one. I can uh, hope so. So, <laughs> so if you've hung around with us for a little bit, you know that each episode we bring you a note about wine because, well, red wine is the main form of sustenance for vampires when they're not drinking blood. 
for middle-aged women full of wine, (laughs) but I digress. (laughs) So in this episode, our personal Somali buyer is going to talk about Madeira and how it played a role in the American Revolution and how it was something that would have been incredibly familiar to Marcus in his time. Well, in his, what what do we say? In his original time? (laughs) Yeah, right. His first time. Yeah, his first time. BV? Is this like where they call themselves like this year, BV? Yes. At any rate, Bayard, please tell us more about Madeira. Take it away. Hey there, everybody. It's Bayard. Today's wine note comes with a side of history because contrary to popular opinion, English tea and a hearty ale sloshed in pubs weren't the only beverages that defined the birth of this great nation. There was wine. Our colonial ancestors loved them some wine. Well, and other things, but let's focus on the wine. Uh, But no wine-quality grapes could be grown among the 13 colonies, so imports were needed. And at the time, there was a really strong focus and interest in Madeira, a fortified wine made on the Portuguese Madeira Islands off the coast of Africa, which is funny because if you look at it on a map, it's actually off the coast of Morocco. But it is the Portuguese Madeira Islands, Uh, You'll find Madeira richly ensconced in our U.S. history. Actually, in the events leading up to the American Revolution, John Hancock's boat, which was called the Liberty, was seized after he had unloaded a cargo of 25 pipes. Yes, for those of you doing your conversions, that's over 3,000 gallons of Madeira, and a dispute arose over whether or not import duties had been paid. The seizure of the Liberty led to a riot among the people of Boston. Well... Upon signing the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson toasted with a glass of Madeira. But he wasn't alone in his love for it. George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, Benjamin Franklin, and John Adams are also said to have appreciated the qualities of a fine Madeira. But what is Madeira? Madeira can be produced uh, in a variety of styles, ranging from very, very dry wines, which you typically drink as an aperitif before dinner, to the very sweet wines that you would usually drink with a dessert, kind of like a cognac. The biggest difference in uh, Madeira is how it's produced, and it's actually produced by heating it. And there are two different ways of heating it. There's one called the Cantero method, which is basically heating it under the sun in barrels or large glass bottles. And then there's the Estufa method, which is basically heating it in tanks for a short period of time. So for those of you keeping your wine in direct sunlight, or on top of your refrigerator, unless it's Madeira, you need to move the wine. All right. Thank you so much, Bayard. So cheers, ladies. Cheers. Cheers. Can I just say, I think what I loved about this wine note, I just realized, is that now there's such a wonderful double meaning to the glass that I'm drinking out of that says, the only thing I throw back on (laughs) Thursdays is a glass of wine. But as it turns back, we actually did throw back Thursday. And we went straight into the American Revolution today. So I think this warrants a second glass of wine to make sure that the full meaning is realized. We endorse that. Yeah, I I would never vote against that. We're very democratic tonight. I like this. This is awesome. Well, it seems appropriate as we discuss the birth of our <laughs> nation's democracy. We were inspired. And as we live through a time where we wonder whether it'll still be democratic. Uh, yeah. All right. Sorry. sorry no, no, no. Sorry. We were all thinking it. Which leads us to things that make us go, hmm. 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 Maybe I watched too much Arsenio Hall as a teenager, but I... Th- are you pumping your fist right now and doing the... Oh, yeah. I am. So, the three of us have had a couple of conversations in the last couple of weeks about some things that, when we read the book, we love the book. Let us say that now. But there were a few things that made us go, oh, really? <laughs> so, so, this is a spot to hold all those. <laughs> Who wants to start? Yeah. Mm. I will say that I'm still reserving final judgment on sort of the order in which things were done and how it was done. I felt sometimes I felt like the transitions were a little clunky to me of and then there was the writer 
and then we go into Paul Revere and like it was just I, I felt like some of that with the way Diana was trying to look into Marcus's background sometimes just felt a little forced mm-hmm. to me and I think it's super difficult to pull together a lot of different storylines from different time periods and I think there are lots of choices that can be made about how you do that and I you know this is I am not a novelist so I have all the caveats about that but sometimes it felt a little clunky mm-hmm. to me some transitions worked better than others in my opinion agreed absolutely agreed um there were a couple of moments I had one was Dinah says we'd rowed two of the wide bottom boats around from the boathouse and tied them to the shallow dock that Marcus and Matthew used for fishing vampires fish I mean really the creatures who hunt down deer sit in a boat and fish. I and the, well, you know, they are creatures that talk often about how we're too focused on time. And I, fishing I, is one of those things where it's just like, who gives a shit? I, like we're gonna be out here all day. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. But I agree with you. I'm I'm making joke of it. Obviously, I I had that moment as well. I was like, well, that's interesting. And and that was the only time it was ever mentioned. But it it just left me with so many questions. Do they eat the fish in the boat? Do they take them home and cook them? Do they return them to the moat? I don't know. Inquiring minds yeah. want to know. <laughs> yeah. I had a bunch of that as well and I the specifics of me the specifics of it I'm not like it's just a generalization. It was there was just all these like, oh, how coincidental. What a nice happenstance meeting of these wonderful figures in history that just like happened into this bar or whatever it might be. And that's like a wonderful way to get them in here. And I just, I felt like it happened one too many times where I was like, well, that's convenient. Look <laughs> right. at that. Right. Like Tom Thomas Paine. It's yes. Like, Thomas Paine was the big one. Right. Because it's almost like, well, of course, Marcus had to meet Thomas Paine because he was carrying around that book everywhere. And I don't know, it felt a little forced because it was in the middle of some, you know, conflict. And then also Ben Franklin, too. I'm a fan of both. Oh, sure. So it's not that. But who doesn't love Ben Franklin? (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, was it a detail that added to the story or was it? a detail that was there to sort of hit over the head about the common sense thing or whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm yeah, just ra- raising that as the potential. I did think that. I did think there is no point in which I would have doubted his idolization of the concept and sort of the world that Thomas Paine was putting forth in common sense. Right. If Whether he met him or not. Like, it wasn't going to save this situation for me and, and like, ah, now it's now it's official. Now this whole plot line of him just carrying it around and everything has made sense because I think of how many books or stories or movies or anything that make a difference to me where someone is very enamored with or ingrained in one sort of way of thinking and whether that is attributed to another person, whether they meet that person or not, you know. So I just was like, I would have believed it whether he had a moment with him in a bar and then later figured out he was dying and buried him and the whole thing. I just was like, eee. Yeah. Well, now we're going with it. We're really right. taking it to the end. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And the other thing, um, which is sort of Philippe as a racist and having issues with Fernando and Hugh, which I don't know. I think Philippe is a fascinating character and he is um, a flawed man who... I want to do a podcast on but he's so I mean I think he, he's very deep and this book adds other sort of layers to him that I think are interesting but I just had trouble with that one and in the Barnes okay Noble, yeah so, yeah that mm-hmm. right what no yeah yeah because uh, you know that I don't oh well in the Barnes and Noble exclusive edition there is a deleted chapter um, that is um, basically about right when uh, Marcus and Miriam leave the Bishop house when everybody's splitting up, you know, to, to go. So it takes you back there. And he's just been awarded, you know, the head of the Brotherhood reluctantly. Um, and, you know, Miriam's sort of in Miriam ways, kind of like, you know, just man up and do it, you know. <laughs> and so... 
Marcus goes to visit um, Fernando, um, Hugh's, Hugh's mate. And in this chapter, and, you know, because originally Matthew asked Fernando to do it, and, and he said no. He said, you know, um, and uh, Baldwin was, of course, upset. He wasn't asked. And, and you know, uh, Fernando felt that uh, Marcus was the right choice. And so in that chapter, he talks, though, about how Philippe, Hugh stood up to Philippe. Um, he founded the Knights of Lazarus, and it was his way of sort of standing up to his father and that something happened to Philippe, and we don't know what it is, so obviously stay tuned for, you know, some backstory. Um, but something happened to him in, in the Crusades that changed him and when the covenant was signed, and it, he developed a crack is how it was described. And Gerbert knows that there's this crack, but, it, but may or may not know what it is, like what was this thing. But Philippe would not let Fernando into Septours unless... Hugh came as his slave. <laughs> and despite the fact that he they were mates. And Philippe could not imagine walking side by side with, with an African at his side in the courts with kings and queens. And so Hugh ultimately had to make a choice about that. And I was just like, wow. That is, I, that, I did, I'm not sure I, I, get that. yeah so now part yeah. of it part of it may be because we just don't know enough about it but there are intimations about that in sort of the ending of the book that's not in the exclusive thing too anyway that's that was just and i'm like <laughs> i'm always an i'm not always an e-reader but this one is just like this gloriously beautiful book that i had to hold it in my hands that makes it harder for me to quickly find passages that i haven't flagged so i yeah. was like as you were doing this flipping, 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 because what you because of what you just said, which was if I maybe hadn't had the knowledge that you shared with us of the sort of hidden chapter that you all got as an exclusive, I wouldn't have looked or read the passage that I did, the intimation that you're talking about with more in my head, which yeah. was when I saw it, I was like, oh God, this is, I thought she said this was a hidden thing. Oh, it's in mm -hmm. here. And then I thought, well, it's not in here in the detail that she said it, but you're reading this going, there's just enough here to go, what? I'm could wait, what? And then go, okay, I guess that's a, is that just because that's a part of history you're in? But it does break from sort of the nature of this book and how these characters are, um, you know, how these characters are brought to life. So it, it did stick with me as well. Well, and I see, I, I just see Philippe as, as much more inclusive, you know, just generally. I mean, you know, overall. I mean, he wasn't initially, you know, but once he met Diana, I feel like he helped to create a path going forward for their future that enabled more um, inclusivity and also for his grandchildren that he knew were, was coming. You know, anyway, it's just... I, I mean, it's it's just, it just didn't sit, you know. I think we need more details, but it, it was just kind of, it made me go, hmm, hmm? Well, that's the category that we're working under, so it qualifies if it made you go, hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The, um... The, the other one that I'll just mention briefly that I felt like right at the end, we were on like Mr. Toad's wild ride to get everything tied up very quickly. Um, and again, I feel like because I love this woman so much, I want to just go back and give a blanket disclaimer. Isn't it great that we have anything to try and pick out as a hmm in a book that we love so much? Like yeah. what, what yeah. a joy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not like I'm not going to read this, you know, five to ten times. Um, so by November, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was actually kind of funny um, because I, I had finished this book on the plane to Atlanta and I had sort of finished it in a hurried manner because my thought was I need to I only had like, I don't know, 40 pages left now. And, and I'm saying to myself, I really need to finish this before I get off the plane because I want to have it read by the time we meet Deborah. And 
it sort of worked well. The ending worked well with my hectic sort of mindset at the time. It was like, oh, all right, well, we're going to tie up all these loose ends in the last 40 pages. All right. All right. I'm all set then. Yep. That's that's actually a true. That's a fair point. That's a that's a great setting to experience it when you're like, oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. Check. <laughs> like you probably did not feel that. I guess when I was having the leisurely lay on the porch swing moment and finishing this I was like and now we're this and then it wasn't even like there were um and Janet being the the the, uh, the editor that you are but you know how it's like within a chapter where we're doing these section breaks where there's almost like a uh, like a picture symbol of how we're breaking up sections those were even missing from some areas where it was just like hard return new paragraph completely different thought also this gets wrapped up hard return this is also getting wrapped up hard return this is also getting wrapped up that was what threw me I was like wow we're we're getting this all done really quickly um to making sure and it was one of those where I was like god this is how I feel when I've got to draft something for work where I'm like gonna meet the deadline gonna get it I'm gonna get it but you I know that's not the case here because this is a very laborious process to write this book to go through the reviews with your editors to get it to where it needs to be so they felt like this was the final place for some of this but as a reader I did feel like I was on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride right, right there at the end in Marcus's sections getting them everything all tied up Mr. Toad's Wild Ride I kind of Kind of get a little nauseous just thinking about it, but it might yeah. be the two glasses of wine that made it feel like that. But yeah, you don't know me. You don't know how many glasses of wine I've had. I've had two and a half. Oh, that's fair. I just meant that I put you <laughs> on it by having two glasses of wine and rambling that metaphor at you. Right. Not that I'm condoning drunk driving in any way. Well, speaking of reviews, should we have some reviews? I think we should have a review. Ashley, you want to do it? Because you do it so well. Yes, I'm ready. I was just excitedly um, going to read to you from Mrs. Bayflower, who is how she refers to herself in the iTunes world, but it's really Catherine B. She says, smart and refreshing format, which is like, thank you. That's not a thing that makes me go, hmm? <laughs> in the a, in a negative, it was like, yes! No, that makes me I'm go reading... squee. <laughs> <laughs> squee. We're going back to Nikki squee, right? Yes. So Catherine B. says, I'm reading the All Souls trilogy for the second time and may be obsessed with the story and these characters. So after looking around to find a podcast where I can hear more about this engaging story, I found this podcast. What a refreshing and original format. The segment with the wine expert is icing on the cake. Thanks, ladies, for this intelligent discussion between friends. I'm looking forward to your next episode. Oh my God! Cheers! To Absolutely! That. Yes. Cheers! Thank, thank you, Mrs. Bayflower. Yes, bless right. you for that. We won't let our Somali get too much of a of a a big head about that moment, right? <laughs> Three stars for Bayard the Somali. Right. <laughs> yeah. He can work his he can work his way up. I also like that she gives us credit for a refreshing and original format and doesn't say it sounds like you're just flying by the seat of your pants. So it it she makes it sound like we've put thought into this and I appreciate that. I do too, because you you know who else I think would appreciate that you just framed it that way? Uh our friend Deb Harkness. Who Oh my god yes. that I had never heard. I had never heard this. <laughs> Where she said people are either a planner or a pantser. Yes. And I was like, what? And she was like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, half the time when I'm doing what I'm doing or after I've done it. I'm for sure a pantser. I fly by the seat of my yes. pants. And I was like, I've never heard it described as that, but I'm for sure maybe somewhere in between a planner and a pantser, more of a pantser. I've never heard that. So thank no, you. No, I hadn't heard it either. Yeah. And wow, um, could we find a more appropriate way to end this? Possibly nope, not. Probably not. Probably <laughs> not. Okay. Any final thoughts, you two? I'm out uh, of wine. <laughs> there's that. Um, well, just overall, that um, I thought it was a terrific book. It was wonderful to sort of get, you know, the backstory and fill in some of the holes um, and create new stories for this, what I think we now have to call an All Souls series since mm -hmm. we're on number four now. Mm hmm. I concur. And 
I'm ready for book five, so no pressure. <laughs> Jeez. The editor hath spoken. <laughs> well, she said she wrote a bunch of other stuff already, so how hard can it be, really? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, um, she, I will just say, since she threw it out there, she said, slow down and take it one word at a time. Trust in the process. Never lose faith in your own creativity. And just realize that it's going to be a journey so janet you might need to give her a little bit of time but i agree i would be really excited about a fifth book <laughs> that's okay i've got i've got plenty of rereading to do no worries i'm trying i'm trying to think about how what what i want my final thought to be i i, I guess i just want to say i i love deborah harkness i think she is a beautiful soul i mean truly regardless of the books i i think she has just such a sweet spirit about her and and i love her emphasis on time because it's something that i think about <laughs> all the time <laughs> and yeah I didn't, I didn't even actually mean that to be cheesy but no it, it's something that i think about a lot and and it's it's something that i love and um to see as it comes through in her writing and so a book all about times convert was sort of Sav for my soul. So I I loved, loved this book. And if you haven't read it yet, do it. Do it now. Read it. I think with that, we're going to say thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us as we discussed all things, all souls. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And then if you feel inspired, you'll leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to join in the conversation, find us on Twitter and Instagram at AllSoulsWW, on Facebook at All Souls Witchy Women Podcast and Blog, and online at AllSoulsWitchyWomen.com. See you soon. <laughs>